as you as you know you follow my career you will see me getting more comfortable with it and really is getting comfortable with myself. I think that the work is allegorical to, you know, my life, me understanding who I am, me understanding my people, my story, my articulating my voice. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise Podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. I'm wrapping up my semester at Georgia State. So as I'm getting my grades together and organizing all that good stuff, It's a perfect time to replay an episode from the archive. We got an amazing archive here at Studio Noise. Y'all should definitely got to check it out. But we're flashing back to episode 94 with one of my favorite artists, Jamia Richmond Edwards. She's always amazing, booked and busy. Currently, she has work at the Brooklyn Museum. A movement in every direction, legacies of the Great Migration features amazing artists like Mark Bradford, Carrie Mae Weems, Theasta Gates, and much more. Yeah, you know, she's in that rarefied air. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Ain't too many people up there doing it how she do it. So, you know, we love to see the fam shining all the time. It definitely keeps us inspired. So it's always great to go back and listen to some of them jewels she dropped on us way back in the way back. In Studio Noise, the voice of black art always bringing you the very best in black contemporary art. Presented by Black Art in America, the home of black art. The Black Art in America Gallery, 1802 Connolly Drive, East Point, Georgia. Wrapping up the Kindred exhibition with my man, Kevin Johnson. Make sure you check out his buy exclusive episode over at blackartamerica.com. And Akinola Taid. We're wrapping up their show with another edition of the Collecting Contemporary Art Series. This time they got philanthropist, vice chair of the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts, chairman of the Creative Capital Foundation. Oh, oh yeah. And avid art collector. Reginald Brown is there. He's there talking with Najee Dorsey. You know him, the artist, collector, founder of Black Art in America. So that conversation is going down on April 29th from 2 to 3.30. Before that, they will have live music and a food truck <laughs> out there. So come on, see the end of the show. Catch the conversation. It's going to be a good time. Make sure you come through. Learn more about it at blackartinamerica.com. So let's go ahead and enjoy this replay episode. There's an article that goes along with this with this episode, too, on StudioNoisePodcast.com. Make sure you check that out, too. It's a little bit of writing when your boy has more time in his life <laughs> to do a little bit more writing. But that's what this episode is. So after the break, we got Jamia Richmond Edwards flashing back to this great conversation. You know, it's the noise, baby. Yes. everyone, this is Carla J. Harris. I am an artist and a curator based in Los Angeles, California, and you are listening to Studio Noise. All right, all right, this is Studio Noise Podcast. This is your boy, Jay Barber, and I'm here with one of my favorite artists. She heard me say it before, but now she, <laughs> now she hear it again. <laughs> I do one of my Stop favorite, it. Mrs. Miss Jamia Richmond Edwards. Uh, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? 
I am well, and thank you for the invitation. For sure, for sure. I had to get you on. Like you, you are your work is phenomenal. One, let's go ahead and get thank that you. out of the way. And, uh, thank you. And stand and we can have a normal conversation. <laughs> now, <laughs> appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, I'm gonna start a conversation, not necessarily with your work, but more about '90s era Detroit. Like, yeah. what, 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 what was it like growing up then? Because I mean, I was in North Carolina '90s. I'm I'm an '80s baby too, so '90s. Okay. I was in North Carolina. I remember riding my bike with a Walkman, listening to Outcast tapes. Yeah. I had the okay. cross colors on. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Doing my thing with my boys playing ball. What was you doing in the '90s? Absolutely. Um, I wasn't necessarily listening to Outkast, although one of my closest friends who's no longer here, Ronald Hobbs, rest in peace, um, he was into that, but I was listening to techno and house music. Oh. And um, I don't know if you were Detroit is the birthplace of techno. And so, is um, it? yeah, so um, Chicago is the birth of house music. So, you know, during the nineties, that's, that's what we was listening to. Um, that's what my, my siblings was listening to. And, um, you know, growing up in Detroit, it was a, it's a very black city, like extremely black. I, in my schools that I attended from, you know, kindergarten all the way up to high school, it was, it was one or two white kids in the school. And I had majority black teachers as well. So I grew up in a very, um, in a, like a, a very, a very black and, and proud and unapologetic space, you know, um, and as, as, you know, coming up in the nineties, of course, um, bad boys, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, that's when, you know, Diddy came on the scene. Um, so that was live and well, but the techno and the house was really essential because in Detroit, you know, we have a dance called JIT. In Chicago, <laughs> they call it footwork. Right. In right. DC, they call it beating your feet. And so I was a part of me and my girls. We connected with the guys. We used to have, we used to JIT in the basement and it reminded me of oh, like powwow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so all those things kind of informed you know, how I view the world, how I view my work. I see it in my work. I see techno in my work because it's sort of, it's like a, a, a organized chaos to some degree. It's very rhythmic. Um, so yeah, all those things in, informed who I, who I am in my, in my practice. That's what's up, yo. Coochie sweaters, Gucci, um, Coochie <laughs> sweaters. I'm sorry. I was <laughs> trying to say Gucci and Coochie at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but yeah, all of that to, together, you know, so Detroit, so were y'all closer to like the New York scene when like Wu-Tang and Nas and all of them Not was really. out big? Not really. It's for me, it was the um, DJ assaults. It was really techno. Mm. And um, our parents, because this is Detroit Motown, you know, you had that heavy Motown influence. Right. Um, we were learning how to ballroom dance when we were in middle and high school and ballroom dancing would be equivalent to Chicago stepping. stepping and yeah. so that was incorporated into our curriculum where we had after school classes. So you had the Motown influence. And when you would do the ballroom dancing, um, that was more Motown. And we saw our parents doing that. And, you know, at home, 
you know, with my sister or the house parties that we would go to would be your house at techno. Wow. So yeah, it's so real, it's real interesting. You had a good old time growing up. <laughs> oh gosh. It was, it was good. And I grew up on seven mile. I grew up in, in the hood, you know, um, so you see all the sites, all the things <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that you see in the hood. Yeah. So it was, it was amazing. And, it was amazing. And, and, um, and I had a, like a similar experience now when, in terms of having like all black everything, like growing yes. up. So my whole school, okay. like every school I went to, elementary school, middle school, high school, 90 eight percent black yeah and like like a couple of <laughs> sprinkles of white people and mixed in there and they all, all the white right. people hung together in their own little group mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. as it so i i attribute it to two things right one i attribute mm-hmm. it directly to just racism in the south they wouldn't let yeah. black people live certain places so yeah. the place we were we had to make our own schools therefore Absolutely. even now the school still has the same racial makeup that they fight, actually, they fight to keep the same racial makeup. Um, hmm. Even now, like they would just, I, I remember distinctly when I was in yes. middle school, a mm-hmm. family moved into the district for the, it was Ronald Rapids High, I'm gonna call them out. Okay. <laughs> it was Ronald Rapids call High School out. District. They moved into the school district, they redrew the school district around their house. <laughs> <laughs> so that they still had to come to Northwest where we were. And so now I'm saying all that to say that even though as a kid growing up, you don't really see and feel the entire system yes. of racism on your back, but you do yes. get uh, this idea of community that's much different than people give you credit for. Like looking from the outside, they just think that all black people just are out on their own, just, you know, looting, blah, 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 doing all this you stuff. Know. But, you know, you see everything. You see people own businesses. You see lawyers. You see Absolutely. shop owners. You see, you do see the bad stuff like drug dealers and all this other kind of stuff. But you get yeah. a three hundred and sixty view of life. You know, absolutely. And I, feel, you know, I'm going to take it a step further. Like we can call it racism, but you know, you have people who argue that our our things started crumbling once we integrated. Yeah. Okay, so I think that. Um, yeah, they redlined us and kind of kept us in our corner, but it was still beautiful. The other thing that they did, of course, was they <laughs> they put the drugs and the guns. Yeah, and they gave it say, to hey, us. Yeah. we just going absolutely. So, um, but with that, because being an '80s baby, that's the crack, you know, coming off the heroin epidemic with my my parent, my mother's era. '80s was the crack epidemic, right? And the AIDS epidemic, and so that also influence how I see the world and that influenced the music, of course. Um, so I think like I'm looking at my timeline, my life timeline, like the things that are was happening then and now in 2020, looking back and I look at my work and I'm like, oh, yeah, I see this. And I'm so privileged to have a platform, which I do recognize my privilege because it's very important for me to contextualize that. You know, and I and I say it, crack is as American as apple pie and baseball. And, you know, that's the things that we like to sweep up under the rug because, you know, it was, it, that affected my family. Yeah, <laughs> it it yeah, affected my community. Yeah. It was just it was it was horrible, but it was great um, because we still again, America's dropping their bombs on us. But somehow we, we still find our joy. We could still dance. We could still be fly as hell. Um, so that's all of these things really charge my practice. 
Yeah. And, and I think, well, the people that know can see it, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's that type right. of thing. Like, you know, <laughs> um, okay. and so we, when we talk about, uh, we'll ease into your work a little bit. When you talk about how, mm-hmm. um, you were looking at Ebony fashion fair spreads, mm-hmm. like, um, tell yes. me, tell me how did, how did you start seeing those and how did it start getting you on this track of creating your own stuff? Yeah. Um, I would say my first introduction, um, just in general to art, and art making or um, aesthetics is through the hair because Detroit is the hair cap was the hair, hair capital maybe still is um, and fashion and so my sister my older sister Brandy is 13 years older than me and I remember when she got her first apartment and she would have Jet magazines and Ebony magazines and when I would go through those books. That was my first introduction of of um, couture because the uh, you know rural high fashion. Now I talk about the the ebony fashion fairs because you you see the layout of it. But while this is happening, Detroit is very was a very fashionable city. I would see my mom. My mom is a social dancer where she would go Chicago stepping or um, bopping. Hey, mama, there you go. Listen, over the weekend, <laughs> I would see my mother. Um, dressing in in high fashion, mink coats, you know, Ooh, gators. My, my was doing it. She like, yeah. My fa- we have I have an interesting family, but but that was the city. That's the culture of the mid. I can't say the Midwest. It's really everywhere. But you know, from me growing up in the city, um, so seeing my mom and then me seeing the magazine is just like, oh, okay, this is real, you know. And so I always. I always drew like I just would I my my childhood was spent up until graduating from high school. I have stacks and stacks and stacks of notebooks just drawing. But at some point I said I wanted to be a fashion designer and I made that connection from the Ebony Fashion Fair. Like, oh, OK, because you would need models to right. yeah. wear, you know. So, yeah, that's how that came about was through my sister. Yeah. So were you a big fashion kid? Like, were you trying to make your own oh, clothes God. and stuff like that? You know what? I I took some sewing classes while I was in high school, but I was more so I just loved to dress. I just loved to um See now, like, now uh, I know you from the nineties because then when you say you love to dress, that's what I I'm love to dress. <laughs> I love to dress. Yeah. Like I that girl was can dress. wearing my mother like I was wearing my mother minks. I was wearing Chanel Gucci. Ooh, girl. Um <laughs> <laughs> like I was a name brand, but it wasn't about the name brand. It was just being stylish. Was style, and, yeah. You know, I was wearing cowboy boots and, you know, just sequence. This is mm. all I'm in high school. So I think that um, I just like to adorn my, my myself. And I saw, you know, my peers reacted to it. I responded to them. It's I remember Randy. You know, he may not ever hear this, but Randy, he would he would catch the bus home from school wearing big block gaiters. So that was just the the culture (laughs) of the city. Cartier, 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 you know, country. Cartier glasses. We was wearing Cartier's and and that's a staple in Detroit. These are twenty five hundred dollar glasses. Wow. So Detroit is a very interesting place because that, you know, once, you know, we migrated to the to the north. Um those industrial jobs was gave us that middle class access. And so right. once we access the middle class, it's like, oh shoot, I'm about to get my caddy. I'm about to so that kind of trickled down to me, the 
you know, the descendants of these folks who migrated. So it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you was doing it. You was that girl in in school. I was I that, like that. I was that. It was. It, people <laughs> kind of like you know. Some people say it's problematic, but I, you know, I want to press against that um, because my mom, she kind of instilled that in me. Like, not necessarily spend a lot of money, but no, you know, you make sure that you present yourself well, and you, you know, you let folks know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I was that chick. Yo, that's mm-hmm. what's up, yo. That's what's yeah. up. And so, so uh, going from there, did you? always were you always focused on being an artist at that point or did you yeah. did you think you were doing something else no i was always doing art like since i was three years old like i um i was doing art and uh it was this was a few months ago where i re- remember i would take the textbooks that my brother and sister my brother was six years older than me my sister is 13 years older than me and they would bring their textbooks home from school you know that they would have to study and so when i was four four or five years old, I would tear out the blank pages that's in the beginning of the books and I would draw on them and put Vaseline on the back <laughs> of the paper and hang it up on the, the around the house. Oh. So <laughs> when yeah. I was young, I just <laughs> always knew and my mother and my family supported me. So it's, I, I'm a one trick pony. That's the only thing <laughs> I've ever done. <laughs> it's art. <laughs> That's what's up, yo. And so did you know that like going out of high school and college, like you wanted to pursue it? And did you want to pursue it like definitely in, in college or were, what path did you see for yourself? Yeah. So um, now I also, while I, being an artist, that was my, my constant. I started playing um, the clarinet when I was nine and then I shifted to French horn in middle school and I played throughout high school in a marching band. So by the time I graduated, you know, I made a very impulsive decision to go to Jackson State University in Mississippi. And I was just like, well, shoot, I, I whatever the universe wanted me to be there. So I, I didn't know it was the universe. I'm just like, well, I'm going to go here. Right. And um, when I first came to Jackson State, I'm like, well, I'm an artist. I could be a designer. I may design bridges so i would be an industrial engineer or what or what is it mechanical is a structural engineer yeah, it's one of them yeah um and i took that first class and i'm like oh hell no nope back to <laughs> art way too much math in this class it was way it was changing me so by second semester of college i was back i was an art major and that was it and i you know from jackson I went to howard university to receive my mfa oh man y'all gonna turn this into the howard show uh, uh, listen, you now know, I had so many people <laughs> from Howard come through and just call all over my podcast about listen, how great y'all are. I'm, hey, I ain't I mad. Mean, I ain't mad. Y'all make some incredible place. people. Yeah. Howard, it, but I have to say, Jackson State University makes some heavy hitters as well. You know, all these HBCUs. Yeah. Um, you know, Jackson was my first, it will always be my first love. And so, um, you know, going coming through the band was it it's you see it in my work like <laughs> i see it, the the dance girls the the rhythm yeah um the outfits the outfits the stink face you yeah. know when we march in we want smiling like this ain't no joke <laughs> <laughs> we at war <laughs> yeah that's so, up yo yeah because we've had um bisa butler's uh been on the show she's from um, howard yeah um lindsey renee benton she's a dancer she was from she did a time there 
did time. Okay. Yeah, I'm saying like I'm in prison or something. Look, I see what you did. <laughs> I see what you did there. I'm going to let that slide. Yeah, we had... Um... <laughs> <laughs> no offense. No offense, of course. Mm-hmm. Our time, Mary. Okay. okay. Yeah, we had Lauren. Lauren Harris uh, has been there. She's mm-hmm. an arts administrator. Um, okay. Yeah, so, you know, they, all y'all just come and represent. I appreciate it, Joe, because, I mean, Howard's got a, le- a legacy. Uh, it really does. And so, how much how much that legacy play into you, like the the Afro Cobra kind of oh, kind of stuff and all that? Yeah, those were my mentors. But before I came to Howard at Jackson, you know, I Jackson State is when it was introduced to me, and I was just like, "Yo, that's the illest thing." And at the time, I didn't know I would end up in DC. And so, by the time I came to DC, and before I came to to move, right after not while I was in Jackson. I did a residency called the Tougaloo Art Residency and Murray DePillars, um, rest in peace, who's an, who was an Afro-Cobra artist. Um, I worked under him, and so he planted that seed. So by the time I came to Howard and, you know, Akili Ron Anderson and James Phillips were my committee advisors, mm, yeah. um, along with Al Smith, who's not Afro-Cobra, but he's genius. I was just like, yo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, that's like, awesome. I'm winning. So I think you know, um, and right when I entered at Howard, um, me and an, another friend of mine, we started uh, our own black arts co- or, you know, arts collective. And so that was also in response to um, the Afro-Cobra um, and, and that, you know, that sense of organizing and coming with your crew, coming, working, moving as a, as a unit. Yeah. So all those things really, really impacted me. Yeah. And then, um, I can see it in your work. Like it's it's subtle. Like even with the colors and and how yeah. you're getting it, it's like they're super bright, bright environment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah Kool Aid colors. Yeah, and, yeah, there um, you go, Kool Aid colors. Yeah, Kool Aid colors. And I think when we talk about the contemporary art world, um, y- you know, I was kind of trying to fight against that because I'm like, it's it's too it's too loud, <laughs> it's too vibrant. I want to tone it down. Um, and I, you know, I was at an artist talk and I heard someone mention like, oh yeah, I wanted to be more mature with my practice. And so I brought, I muted the colors and I'm like, you know, which is fine. And that's that person's, you know, right to do so. But I, in my mind, I also felt the same way. Like if, in order for me to mature and to kind of, um, grow as an artist, I need to tone those colors down. But what I'm doing now is like I'm I'm pressing against that. <laughs> That's yeah. who we are. Like we're colorful people. Yeah. Um. So why do I have to bridle that? And I will not. And when you know when I look at my my mentors and Afrocobra and just when you look at um just quote unquote black art in general, you know we we like colors, and so I'm it's there, and I'm you know I'm not running from it. Yeah, you, know? you you you're definitely not running. <laughs> That's for sure. No, no, no. And so I think about um one of your works. I'm gonna bring it up. Uh, Girl with okay. three orbs. And I, it's interesting mm. because it's mixed media, and mm-hmm. it's mixed media. But your media list is a, is showing how much you're adding to it and creating like yeah. your own world. So you got ink, graphite, glitter, mm-hmm. oil stick, and mixed mm-hmm. media, and tied yeah. with another one. You got acrylic and textile. Mm-hmm. rhinestones and, and yeah I mean, so you got like all this kind of stuff like where did you get the idea to start adding so much material into oh your work? yes absolutely so when i 
So I met my my husband in Jackson, Mississippi, my husband, Jeff, and he's from Milwaukee. So when we, I got pregnant my senior year of college. Okay. Ain't no wrong with it. It ain't no, listen, look, that's that, that's that, that musician child we got. (laughs) Um, We moved to Milwaukee and I joined an arts group called um, Abaya. And this was led by Della Wells. Um, oh, that, and, yes, yes, yes. I know this group. Yeah. Okay. Della is one of my mentors. And so many of the artists in that group were folk artists, self-taught. And when you just study folk art and Black American and also Indigenous American, because I'm also Indigenous American as well, um, you see that we're using all type of media. So when I when I'm thinking about art, before I think, look at to contemporary art, I look at the folk artists and what they showed me was you can, you can use whatever the hell you want to use because going through this education system, it's like, Oh no, if you're a master, you must use oil paints because right. that's what Michelangelo or, you know, fresco paintings and so forth. Um, but what I'm, I'm, I'm pushing against that. <laughs> I'm going with the people here in America's, um, I'm looking at their work and I'm, 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 I feel empowered. And so with Della, you know, and looking at, you know, Ramir Bearden and, you know, all these folks, they were just, it was just really organic and, and quilting. We, we use the materials that are around us. So my work is, it's, it's, it's all collage. Even the figures, I draw them, cut them out. It's, it's an additive process. Right. Um, and you know, when I first started, I'm also was an educator. I, I was in education for 13 years too. Um, art education, secondary art education. You know, it, we want to make it very, very um, restrictive. Like, okay, this is your set of tools. No, you know what? Put some put some hot sauce on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's how I, I I approach it. I don't I don't want borders. I want to have the space to move right within the work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what I what I also see happening, this, we can jump back and forth between your work, but what sure, I see happening absolutely. is um, you are putting more into your artwork now, like yes. more layers, more pieces, mm-hmm. more um, you know decorative papers and and, and mm-hmm. glitter and all this other kind of stuff. Where some mm-hmm. of your earlier works, as I was looking at your work, mm-hmm. were much simpler, and a lot yes. of that action was just in the outfits or just in it, like you, know, you have some now. pieces with clouds. Like it would just be clouds in a in a kind of sparse background, um, but now right. it's like it's it's full, like it's like an explosion, like inside of of your canvas. Like, what would transition you to thinking about it in that way, or is that just, just a regular being, development? No, it was just being free. And I'm telling you, like as an educator, when we talk about Western education, it's through, you know, we it's Western art. We're in the Western world. We colonize, et cetera. You know, we're looking at the 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 quote unquote masters, your Michelangelo's and Raphael's and so forth. So when I'm thinking of my work, I'm like, oh, the earlier works, I want to kind of align it with them, but still kind of do my own thing. Uh, and I was fighting against the wanting to add everything, all the colors into it. And as as you as you know, you follow my career you would see me getting more comfortable with it and really is getting comfortable with myself. I think that the work is allegorical to, you know, my life, me understanding who I am, me understanding my people, my story, my articulating my voice. So it's just, it's just being comfortable 
And, you know, I'm, I'm really I really appreciate you for uh, for pointing that out. Um, and so now you're welcome. I Thank can, you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 really that's really dope. And so now where I see myself going, it's just like this. Really, the sky is the limit. Now I can go sculptural. Now I can do. Work right. In yeah. 4D. Yeah. Um, but just initially limiting myself because I was thinking in terms of, a, you know, like oh what 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 would Michelangelo do? He is still one of my one of my favorite artists. I can't lie. Um, yeah, but it's not the end all be all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, I understand that because that's um, always a struggle between. Um, and you don't want to do this, but I'm in grad school now, so I'm I'm going through ah. the same thing where I'm studying like a lot of these works ah. and trying to see like what work for this to make it belong <laughs> in the hot. You know what I'm saying? What make it uh-huh. make this belong? in in Mm. somewhere but to get away from that because um you got to stop i'll take it back my thought is (laughs) Mm -hmm. to explain myself that you study those works and you kind of want to do what they do in composition wise and kind of that and and even thinking about that you're limiting yourself in the possibilities of you throw it out what you want to do yeah throw it out throw it out one of the things I, I love teaching. I actually love teaching more than I do making art. Really? But I had to make, yeah, I actually do. And I, I still do it because I, I have a lot of young people who I who I mentor, um, both graduate school um, and undergrad. Uh, and we'll talk about that because now I have some other ideas as we, we're coming through this paradigm shift. But as a graduate student, you have to throw that out. You can look at it. But what we have to do is we focus too much on places and people outside of the states. And I'm talking about non-black artists. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. You need to look to see, you know, you and you from North Carolina, I'm from Georgia. You have these mounds that they don't teach us about, these ancient mounds that predates the um the pyramids in Giza. And when you look at the the work and the artifacts that are in these ancient pyramids here in your backyard, okay, all over the states, you see works and figures that look like us. And we talk about ancient art that predates ancient Egypt. And so, you know, we 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 aligned ourselves because many of us, of course, we have African influence here in America, period, right? Just like we have European influence. But much of what has been created has been created by us here. So for me, I began studying myself, my mother, how they how they adorned their bodies, the quilters, the food. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Jitting yeah. and dance culture, techno. That's how I'm aligning myself and and saying, hey, I'm an I'm an American artist and I'm pulling my inspiration primarily from the Americas. Although, you know, I can go ahead and add some of my my Japanese influence, my European influence. Um, but too often we outsource everything. You, you, you feel me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's my soul. But I can go. Education <laughs> is my that's my heart. No, that's um, good. And, that's and good. I see how they they play us because, you know, and I'm just going to give this 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 example. I have a young woman who I'm um, who I mentor and she's ceramics. And her people are from, um, she's from Virginia. And she was saying, you know, my work is, you know, I have African influence. And I'm like, that's beautiful. 
because we know that some of the, the most powerful work was created from Africa. But I say, what type of pottery does your mother, your grandmother have? What type of pottery did your, your auntie have? And we had those figurines. You know what I mean? Those yeah. figurines. Oh, yeah, with yeah, the pre- yeah. So who's talking about that? Who's intellectualizing that? Who's contextualizing that? You In America, every young girl have a bowl full of barrettes and balls, hair balls. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, cherry balls, yeah. Like, so part of what we, I, what I want to encourage us to do, American artists, is we have to, to also, we have to start from here and then branch out. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And, and in terms of like varying your influences, uh, one of the major turning points in how I was thinking about work came when I started studying uh, African artists, in particular how um, one named Uche Ukeke, who, yes. who went left and then came back and created his own school mm. in in his um in um I'm I'm gonna say the country wrong so I apologize but yeah but but in the, he made his own country based on his own culture and it and kind of not rejected but kind of took a little bit of part about what he learned when he was in Europe and brought mm. it back but still went back to the main influences of his culture. And okay. then elevated it. And so that's the, that's kind of exactly what you're talking about. And then, that's what Augusta Savage did. And yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, that's good. Um, but you, you see that. And so that's one of the, that's my next iteration. That's where I'm at now. That's where I'm at now to say, well, who, who are the master teachers here? And let's begin working through the black American lens and our, you know, our histories um, that's in the Americas. Because not everybody came from Africa. And then you also have the African influence. And then you have the Caribbean influence. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, a, it's some really powerful stuff here that's not talked about in these schools. And ah, that's yeah, also that's by su- design. That's super true. Yeah. <laughs> that's super true. Because, I mean, it took me a long time. I didn't know who, who Dave the Potter was. Uh, okay. You know? Now, 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 now we're getting to something. Okay. And when you look at, when you look at Dave the Potter's work, I'm going to give you a tidbit that nobody has ever talked about. And I'm like, I'm an intelligent woman, but I'm like, I, this overlooked by any, everyone. He was in the South Carolinas. Look up at the, the, the indigenous tribe. It started with a C. I cannot remember which one. Look up their pottery and you t- don't think it's the exact same thing. Right. So when we talk about, um, they say, oh, well, black American or he was an African-American potter. But his pottery isn't looking like no one else worked but here in the Americas. So he's also attached um, to a tribe. Now, whether he was, um, whether he himself is indigenous or he was influenced or taught by indigenous Americans, that's a whole other conversation. The same thing with um, um, quilting. Well, no one quilts how black Americans quilt and what they how they frame it is, oh, well, we created this from slavery. No, 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 no. You have to look at indigenous American um, quilting and you say, oh, wow, it's literally the exact same thing. Right. Take from that what you will. But this is some 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 parts of um, of our scholarship that's not explored. And I wonder why that is. Oh, man, that's on purpose. OK. Yeah. Especially so, when you read how they don't um, how they mm-hmm. don't attribute indigenous art to anybody. Come on now. Right. They, to anybody. Yeah. Okay. So I'm reclaiming that. 
this is this is part of my practice. Yes, I'm a black American because I fall within that construct that they created. But let's make it clear. I'm an indigenous woman. My family is Mississippi, Choctaw and Creek. So, you know, now that that when people are contextualizing my work, don't just try to gloss over it saying, oh, well, you black. Well, yeah, I am black. But let's talk about let's expand this a little bit. Yeah, I like that. I'm sorry. Jay. I'm on my <laughs> No, nah, no, that's that's good. I like this energy. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Blackgardenamerica.com is the place to buy and learn about art. Along with all the articles, news, and artist highlights, you can look through the curated collections to help you find what you want to live with in your own home, family, and figurative originals and limited editions. They got it all from old masters like Elizabeth Catlin and Samella Lewis to modern masters like Phyllis Stevens and Zoya Taylor. There's even a special Mother's Day Picks collection. Get mama something nice this year. Expand your collection or begin your collection at the click of a button. It's www.blackartamerica.com. Go check it out. Hey, everybody. My name is Gracelyn Haynes. I'm a visual artist and a figurative painter. I'm currently based in New Jersey, and you're listening to Studio Noise Podcast. Yeah. All right, so um, I'm gonna get into your work, and you can talk about a little bit about that your actual like making process, right? Yes. So I'm gonna I pick a piece uh, that one of my favorite pieces of yours, "Seated Girl on a Serpent Throne" with oh. pink, with stink pink gators. With stink pink gators. See, now that's what I'm talking about. You even like <laughs> labeling your stuff right. That's what I'm talking about. Because so, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. So even in in this piece. Um, Referencing back to the conversation we had about quilting and all the other stuff, I see parts Absolutely. of that inside of it. So as you start, like with this piece in particular, what's mm-hmm. the start? What's the genesis? And then how do you build it? Whew. Um. So how my work work works, excuse me, how my work works. <laughs> um. I date these. I don't sketch. So I have a blank canvas and essentially um, the work tells me what needs to happen. And. How I describe it now, I didn't have, when I created this work, I wouldn't have described it like this, but my work is a very spiritual process. I, I didn't realize that my my art practice and my spirituality is one of the same. I'm, I'm pulling things out of the ether. And so um, I have this blank canvas and I'm waiting to hear them tell me what needs to happen. What, what, she, what she wants, what she wants me to do. And it's, I'm kind of like blacking out, like my, I'm panting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm in tears at some point through this process. Um, and now as I'm understanding it more, what's happening, I'm like, this is, this is spiritual right now. Now this is my ancestors kind of moving. I'm a, I'm a vessel. And so once I began to see the image, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm 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 working towards that now, right? So right. my studio, I have a like an installation pile of papers, papers I've been compiling for a long time. People have donated them to me. Um it's old students' work who wanted to throw it in the trash and I instead of trashing it, I cut it up. My um friends who are art teachers, they donate their old, you know, worse they throw in the trash and I cut it up to little pieces. So all these things are 
um, collaged onto this to this piece. Um, this particular body of work, you see, uh, I had this this exhibition. This was this past December, two thousand and nineteen, and the exhibition was um, the exhibition was called Prom Night, um, and I was thinking about the rites of passage of of the coming of age of young black. Americans and how we make a really big deal out of prom, right? Yeah, yeah. And graduation and people are like it ain't that serious. It's not college, but you know, really, it's about coming of age. And so, when I began looking at through Instagram and prom, you know, these new proms, these kids are like royalty. Okay. Oh yeah, they doing it. Um, but it's like, oh, where where did this come from? And <laughs> I'm like, you know, we we are we are absolutely royalty. So I. That they were my inspiration, um, and so a lot of the symbolism in those paintings is a horned serpent, and I'm pulling out. I'm using symbols from where my people are from. I'm, I'm from my family's from Georgia, the southeast parts of the U.S., and we have all these mounds and artifacts here, these earthen mounds, and you see the horned serpent throughout it. So I'm like, I have agency to use these things. For one, I am indigenous. And two, this is where my people are from. So I'm incorporating these, um, um, this symbolism in these, in these paintings. And, you know, that's actually one of my most, my favorite (laughs) um, paintings. I felt that really confirmed a lot of things for me Um, on her throne. If you look closely, you will see the snake wrapped around it. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just it, it it came together. And I use I titled it Stink Pink Gators because again, I'm I'm pulling this from where I'm from, where I'm from in, in the D. Like we we the, the those shoes aren't pink; they're stink pink. And so I, it's really important <laughs> for me to incorporate our language, right? You know, as my work is contextualized in museums and history books and so forth. Um. So yeah, it's like it's. I'm I'm listening. I'm listening to the work and it essentially unfolds. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So when you look at it, are you seeing colors like come together in it or are you seeing like the bigger, larger figures? Like, how, it's how like, yeah. So once I'm starting it to me, my, my work is like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. It's like once I started, I kind of know where I'm going right. and I'm I'm working with hundreds no thousands of pieces of little small pieces of paper so it's <laughs> it's like okay where does this piece need to go and even where i how i'm when i'm using the principles of design i'm using it on a on a on a real micro level so i'm balancing that little small sheet of piece of paper in the right um corner with with the one on the left Right. You know, like it's it's really a lot going on. Um, and what I think about it is I can attribute that to techno music. I can attribute that to jazz where it's like lots of like a conductor, a music conductor um, or composer. Excuse me, not a conductor. Well, kind of conducting as well. But me composing all these notes and um, and I can't really tell you because it's really an out of body experience. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm creating. You get into to be it. Honest. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I, I look at a lot of your work, and I, you, majority features women. Like, in a majority oh, of women. them are have, um, they're looking at you. So, how important mm-hmm. is that gaze 
um, mm-hmm. of the of your figures towards the audience because it, it's it's direct, it's assured, it's confident, it's pride. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all that stuff. Like that's what I see when I see it. They know that you're watching. They know that you're watching, and oftentimes they're they're posturing themselves because they want you to see them in a very particular way. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a very watchful eye. And if, if you ever have, um, you know, the privilege, I'm, oh, I sound so full of it, the privilege of seeing my work in person, <laughs> right? Um, if you ever have the opportunity, privileges in the work, if you have the opportunity to see my work in person, the pieces literally follow you. They will follow you across the room. And no matter where you go, they follow. Um, and so they're, they're really, they're really powerful. And, you know, I've, I've been asked, why do I use women only? And I've even used now, why women. Now, somebody ask you that? I know, right? <laughs> well, no, it's important because, because they, I use them as an avatar, like women, because some of the things that I'm talking about men, I, I use women. I can't fully articulate why that is, but my, my brother was murdered in 2014 and I did a a series on him and I use my women still. And that's when I realized, like, not only do they represent me, but they're also avatars um, for other people or other individuals, right. mostly my, my ancestors. And so. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of I have three sons, I have three sons and I'm married to an amazing man. But I'm more so interested in using the female body. It's interesting. I'm 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 working through it. <laughs> I mean that's that's fine. Like I don't I don't I don't even consider that like a question worth asking you. It's like why would you use so many women in your thing? It doesn't doesn't make sense. So like if you if you're you're experiencing life through your body and if that's how you choose to to yes. express it then that's how you choose like that's that's not the question that's important to me do you know what i'm saying absolutely and as a viewer, yeah so i, I don't know i think that. i just think that's a, a weird question that actually yeah I, people ask me that a lot <laughs> yeah um so tell me about tell me about uh kind of the activities that your figures are doing um mm-hmm. in your avatar so they're in in bedroom spaces they're making clothes they're on thrones like how important are these activities to what you're expressing uh, um I feel like they're some of them are autobiographical, right? So when I'm, it's I have a piece where um, it's called like lace shirt, right? Girl with lace shirt, and it's it's inspired by me going to boosters homes. I told you I was super <laughs> materialistic, uh-huh. kind of still am to a degree, but I'm you know more leaning towards black designers. Um, I like luxury, but um, with accessing luxury items. Many sometimes I bought them from the store. Oftentimes I went to the booster. Hey, you um, gotta do what you gotta do, yo. You gotta do what you gotta do, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, but I wanted to narrate that and put that in a piece because, again, like as we go to museums and we read about work, I want to make sure that my story is part of it. So they're doing different things. Um, they're the girl on seated throne. I think that that's more like ancestral. That's more. You know, that's something a little bit deeper than my experience. Um, I don't sit on a throne, but maybe I do sit on a throne, you know? Yeah. Um, so I do you not know, just put them in the spaces where they, they tell me they need to be. 
And my latest piece um, is, ah, what is it titled? I have all these long titles. Um, it's girls doing a water ritual with the horned serpent that they're conjuring up. Something to that degree. It's on my page. And what I'm realizing, um, this work, usually, like I say, it's autobiographical things that I've seen or accessed. But now I feel like this work is going to other dimensions because mm. now these were <laughs> these girls have quote unquote powers mm, I like or that. quote unquote magic yeah quote unquote right yeah or is it a dimension is it another dimension or are they kind of ascending to in consciousness and so i'm I'm figuring it, that out in the work i like that yeah yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, yo. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's yeah. actually, it's actually, you know, allegorical to my. It's all me, right? At the end of the day, they they look different. <laughs> you know, I can use all men, but at the end of the day, the work is about me, right. right? Yeah. Um, and I think that where the work is going is I'm seeing it's me, and it's me kind of understanding myself, what we're, why we're here on this planet. You know, I'm kind of right. I'm connecting the dots for myself and it's living out through the work. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I like that. I like that. Okay. And, Appreciate um, it. Another part of your work that is, um, I think is a characteristic of it is your women usually have gray skin, but they're in mm-hmm. colored environments. So kind of yeah. tell me about that a little bit. Um, well, it's interesting the past, well, let me see. Since 2020, the girls have not been in grayscale. They are <laughs> colored girls, literally, right? Um, they, they've been colorful. And it's a lot that I could say about it because I'm still figuring it out because the colors have different, you know, implications that the grayscale didn't have. I feel that the work my grayscale work, anybody can enter it. Like, it, I mean, I think anyone can appreciate my work, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but one of my favorite pieces is called The Red Bone Who Can Make Rain. Similar to that. I, it could be, it's, it's, it's an iteration of that title, right? Uh-huh. And um, the girl is pink. And I made that piece because when I left Detroit, my first time leaving the city, um, and move going to Mississippi, people saw me and they said, "You a red bone? You red? You red bone?" And I didn't know. Or at first they said, "Are you Creole?" Because I when when I'm in the sun, my skin turn red orange and my hair can turn strawberry blonde. Like oh, wow. I have, you know, I'm one of those red folks. Like, yeah. You know them redheads. Oh like, yeah, girl, I know um, what you're talking about. You they, we all in the south, right? We <laughs> yeah. everywhere. You guys playing to me? Right, right, right. So when but people was calling me red bone, and I'm like, no, I'm just. I didn't I didn't understand that, but <laughs> I went on my genealogical voyage um three years ago and I discovered red bones is an actual tribe. Huh. It started in South Carolina and they, you know, some settled in Louisiana, some settled in other places, but this is a tribe. And so when they saw me, they were I they were identifying me and kind of placing me like, oh, do you one of those folks? Hmm. And so as I began making a work, I'm like, okay, well, I need to talk about that. I need to be able to reference that. Um, and when you look into indigenous spirituality, whether here in the Americas or Africa or, you know, wherever you may have, um, outside of Christianity, we can make rain, like literally. 
we can make rain. And so me, you know, feeling really empowered to tell the full spectrum of who we are, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and as you are discovering it, it ends up in your work. Like and it makes sense. Yeah. It's a progression. It's a, pro- it's a progression. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's like you searching for, for, for answers and realizing that you're the question and the answer. <laughs> you're, you're the slave and the master, right. you know, and that's quoted from Nas. Um, but yeah, everything you need to know, you already have the answer to. You just got to f- figure it out, pull it out of you or figure out how to access it. And that, and that's essentially what's happened in, in the work. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. As, as you kind of have, you've been on doing big things for a long time, right? So you got the, yeah. In 2018, you had the Joan Mitchell Foundation grant. You know, the artists and yeah. all this kind of like you. Good. Yeah, you hit, yeah. you hitting some 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 nice peaks up up there, and that, okay. that rarefied air. So. And so, so, as you're interacting with audiences, um, mm-hmm. what do you think they think about your work? <laughs> um, they get it. I mean, one thing that I I I do appreciate my work. Although my work is definitely about me. It's about people who look like me, my mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. coming from Seven Mile, you know, being indigenous, being everybody from all walks of life can relate to the work because a lot of times they see themselves in it, you know, like feeling empowered, feeling, being resilient. Um, I was in an exhibition curated by Maria Brito Um and this show wound up being in in Lebanon, but you know one of the things that I discovered was um, was that well what what she articulated to me is like I see how your women at some point realize their power. I can relate it to you know the Lebanese women can mm. can relate to it as well, and yeah. so you know at the end of the day I'm talking about my story, but it it transcends race and gender when you get to the to the core of it just having like pride in who you are um being unapologetic about who you are um motherhood womanhood like you know every it's so i think it's it's varied and people get it yeah, <laughs> and I mean, yeah. it's also nuanced is my work is very nuanced like i don't know if you know all the things that i'm speaking of if people would get that right away about my work yeah i I think they i I get it like even as you're saying like i connect with it like so much even as you're saying like you confirm a lot of my thoughts about about your work when i when i'm as Mm -hmm. i'm studying it and so yeah i think and that's one of the things that's important about one being able to hear like artists like you black artists like you indigenous artists like you uh speaking in this voice because uh, if you don't have a platform to let your voice be known to yeah. let, and tell people the truth and that you're putting into your work, then they'll yes. dismiss it. But they'll the thing it. is that the truth is there for people to find it when they look for it. It's there. And they'll find them even like, like your women will stare at them until they get until, it. You know? Yeah. And I want to take that a step further when you think in terms of truth, because a lot of black Americans, we are always looking for truth on so many levels, right? Like what, why y'all doing this? What, what, why, why, why? And, but when you look close enough, you, everything, it will, it will be revealed. It's hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Um, and so I think when you, 
when we talk about slavery and we talk about, you know, the transatlantic slave trade, we we don't really talk about the Native American trade slave slave trade <laughs> that happened 200 years prior right. to yeah. the um, African, um, you know, the transatlantic slave trade. But we, oh, I forgot my point. Jesus. <laughs> Damn it. Um, I'm sorry. I just have a lot of thoughts going through my no, head. It's all good, Joe. It's all good. It's, it's, the whole point is it's, it's hidden in plain sight. And, and you see those influences. If you learn, if you learn, you first have to acknowledge that it's there. Right. And once you acknowledge that it's there, it's it's, it's just like oh, it's, it's going to download the information. You're going to see everything. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we're reaching the end of our time, but I do want to talk a little bit about um, okay. you as a person, as a mother, and the yeah. your incredible things that you're doing with your 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 folks that you're raising up. Oh, I think it's phenomenal okay. that you that you. I, and, and, <laughs> and this is not. Don't take this the wrong way, but. Sure. Like women, women can do so much. Like you can go uh, out and make this incredible artwork, yeah. And you can have time for that, but you can also raise your son the way that you are, sons. Yeah, you know, multiple. Yeah, sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, well, I um, I, for one, I homeschool my children. Um, my kids are homeschooled, and my my husband the like, whole I time, do, the whole way. Um. For my eldest, he's been homeschooled. He he'll be sixteen next month, and he's been homeschooled since he was nine. Wow. Yep. But the the middle son, who's thirteen, he's been homeschooled his whole life. And then my um my four year old, you know, he's he'll be homeschooled. But my husband, so none of this would be possible. First off, shout out to the black man. Okay. Hey. All right. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. let's let's make that clear. I am not a single parent by no means, and. A lot of my mentors weren't just women, they're also men. And I've been around a lot of strong women and I've been around a strong men. So let, let me make that clear. This is not <laughs> <laughs> we me and my husband Jeffrey, who is brilliant, who's genius, um, he holds it down and he's been there since the beginning of the journey. But we homeschool our kids. We're part of a homeschool co-op, a black homeschool co-op in um DC called Sankofa. Nice. It's one of the largest on the East Coast. Um, and it's so interesting. We were so ahead of the time. I, well, I, well, because, you know, everybody's want to homeschool now because of, of course, the pandemic. And yeah, so yeah. our co-op is growing significantly. Um, and the gift that we, we, we were able to give our children was like, yo, what is it you want to do? And, and we're kind of unschool unschoolers, which means that we use some curriculum like, OK, you're going to do your math, you're going to do your science. But what is it you want to do? What you interested in? And so my son, Jeremiah, who will be 16 next month, he his interest was music and he plays the upright bass. Now, I play the instrument, but I, I have to say that my husband's family is from the Delta, Mississippi, and his great great grandfather taught B.B. King how to play Ooh. The guitar, how to play the blues. Nice. And so my my son's great grandfather, he was him and BB. You know, <laughs> BB is my husband's grandmother's first cousin. So, um, you know, it sounds funny like my cousin's first mailman. Oh no, nah, this is, yeah, this, yeah. His family in North Carolina. The, that's how we describe everybody. <laughs> but it's it's fact. So when, yeah. when you go to Indianola, Mississippi, and you go to the BB King Museum, you see. It, 
his family affairs. So this it's in my son's DNA. But anyway, we we gave him the space to to explore and say, if your calling is music, we, we're going to do it. And because I'm an artist, um, my husband is um, a practitioner of Chinese medicine, a herbalist. He's a healer. We we have we have a lot of space. And so like if my son, you know, we three hours from New York. All right. You want to learn? You want to go and study up under Christian Scott? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then we go, we go drive you to, to New York. And uh, we've been doing that. And he oh, my gosh, he's my son. What you hope as a parent is to to instill like discipline in him. Mm-hmm. He's literally one of the hardest working artists I've ever met in my life. Nice. Ever. Yeah. And I I know some some folks, you know, professional folks. He he goes hard. And so like if he want to practice into 2 a.m. playing his jazz because he's a, a jazz upright bassist. I'm like, I got to let him do it because this is something spiritual happening. Yeah. You know, I can listen to it like this ain't music. This is something else. And so um we are we're in New York and he played at Blue Note. You know, he, wow. he just had something. I'm not really at liberty to talk about what it is he's doing. It'll it'll be aired and I'll reveal more, but we we're able to like really push it. My middle son, Yakalo, who is 13, he wants to be a visual artist. So, you know, I'm like, okay, you 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 want to be a visual artist and you got me as a mom? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's about to be lit. So, it is. Whew, I feel, no, I yeah. feel bad for him, but it's, it's, it's real. Um, And because I'm an artist, you know, all my peers are artists. And so he's being, um, he, his teacher is Jabari Jefferson, who's like, I call him my protege. You know what I'm saying? Um, so he's there around artists and my four-year-old. I'm just watching him like, what is it? He needs to tell me or I, I need to develop the eye to say, OK, what is it? What is your gift? Right. You know, is it with plants? Is it with whatever? Um, so, yeah, that's it's a, it's a really organic household. We are really like kind of hippie ish. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that is awesome. Yo, that that, that kind of energy, man, you can't. Oh, man, you can't um, can't even know how far somebody can go with that kind of jet fuel in their system. You know oh, what I'm saying? Like parents that support them and nurture them and, and, yeah. and getting those opportunities to study and, and play and the ability to, um, yeah. you know, define yourself. Right. I think that's, that's an important thing. Like you're giving it them space to define so themselves. So important. And, and, and the education system, like I was in it for 13 years. I'm telling you, I have such, you know, that's another conversation, but I understand what the education system does to our children in particular. And also, once you, you have to research what the school system was created for. Mm. OK, mm. once you once once you go and oh, understand girl, that's another podcast, the, girl. the Rockefellers <laughs> and the Rothschilds and all these folks who set up and they created the curriculum for a very specific reason. And you realize and you, these are quotables. You can Google it. You'd be like, ah, okay, now this is this makes sense. Yeah. So because I was able to recognize that I'm like, I didn't have a, a good conscience to keep my children in it. Although I have privilege, I have to acknowledge my privilege to be able to pull them out. Because most parents, most people like, yeah. shit, I gotta work. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's an opportunity for them to t- keep your kids and kind of indoctrinate and cultivate your kids. And when you examine the education system and you'd be like, well, why is our kids blah, blah, blah. It's like, Oh, okay. I see. 
starts at preschool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, yeah, it's, that's a whole other podcast right there. That's a whole other yeah. podcast in itself. Yeah, I think we we in an early episode, um, I know these two teachers. They're they're actually twins and artists, um, mm-hmm. Sachi and Toki, and they we had an episode talking about uh, arts education and all the things that they're going through and mm-hmm. how it works into it. So. You know, I don't know, you might, might have to get everybody together and have this, oh, have, hash this thing it's out. Deep. Go ahead, put it out there, let people know. It's deep. It's, yeah. it's really, it's really kind of, kind of scary to be honest. Um, but it's a necessary conversation as we're in this paradigm shift that's happening. We we are going to have to address it, and it's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, but in order for us to heal and and fix the problem. We have to understand what the problem is to, in order to dismantle it. That's true, yo. That's so true. So my last, right. my last question for you is: okay. In this time, like you know, with all the stuff that's going on, mm-hmm. like where do you, what role do you see art playing for people, Ooh, or can do it's for people? Important. Oh my God, art. Oh man, when I, I've been posting more on my page more. I've I've always kind of like hated kind of social media, but now I get it. Now I'm I'm recently understanding how it could be a tool, but when you listen to artists and when I mean, and read artists. So Octavia Butler knew that this was happening, that this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, when you listen to, I posted Kendrick Lamar's to pimp a butterfly and I posted the album cover. He knew that this was going to happen. When you look at, um, Kahinde Wiley's sculpture, he just put up in Virginia rumors yeah. of war. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. And, and so then I have to question, well, like what, what's the purpose of art? Why is art so valuable? And art, you know, when you look at it through an indigenous lens, not anybody can be an artist. This you had to be ordained or it did come through your family or you had to have something special to be an artist. So those of us who have the ability and gifts and agency to really practice it. I'm like, yo, we on some we on some prophetic type stuff. And I'm looking at Carrie James Marshall's work in a, in a whole mm. different light. I'm looking at Della Wells work in a whole different light. Right. And so I think. It's important for us to begin recontextualizing it outside of a a Euro a European framework, and that's what I'm doing. Um, so, artists is the future. People, whoever listens to this, pay attention to artists. Listen to us because I, I don't think that we understand what our ideas come from. We just do it, and we inspired and creativity. But when you, as I'm learning, it ain't no such thing as creativity. Like we literally are downloading things from the ether. You got to understand what the what what the hell is the ether? What does that even mean? And so I feel really compelled to get back into education, but not in a traditional sense because this is a paradigm. Um, I'm already mentoring some young young folks. Um, so I'm like, well, shit, I I have the experience. I I understand. I understand. Like I've done my research. So maybe I need to be a part of the solution. So um, I feel art artists is so important. It's so important. We have the we have the solutions. We already know the problems before we before we know the problems. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh man, I'm glad we got you like in this universe, like letting people know. <laughs> Like what's going on, yo? You got you got some energy, girl. I, I love your work even more it's, now. Then I got to talk you. with you. Thank you, thank you. It's it's like I'm and I'm becoming from Howard and coming as as a mentor of the like the Africa School of the Art and you know the folks that came from the Black Arts Movement. It's about 
making work for the people. And at the end of the day, it's about my people liberating themselves and feeling empowered, you know? And so I feel committed now. I'm going to use the best tool that we have in 2020 and that's social media and that damn computer, handheld computer (laughs) to do my part to make sure that I contribute to us uplifting ourselves and dismantling this shit that they gave us. Oh, that's for sure. So, <laughs> for that's sure. it. That's how I'm gonna leave lead us. Yeah, and they can they can find your work at jamiarichmondedwards.com. Uh, what's your you IG? Same thing. Same thing is Jamia Richmond Edwards at IG. My website is whew, it's out. I haven't, you know, it's it's so it's everything is on there. Um, it's it's going to be re revamped, but you can find it now, and y'all can judge. Like this girl <laughs> need to update her website, but it is. It's, I'm in the process. Um, but you know, social media, my, I'm, um, it's my government name on all of them. So yeah. And that's what's up, you know, we appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Thank you, Jamal. I really appreciate it. It's, it's been really fun. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Jamia Richmond Edwards. Still doing amazing stuff. Check out the archive. The fam is strong. We keeping up with everybody. Wishing everybody luck. I want it for you. I do. It's the noise. And all my artists out there. The season's gonna change. Your job's gonna change. The position's gonna change. But you, you just keep making that noise, baby. That's all you got to do. It's the noise. Your boy Jay Baba will be back next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.